This week on Physio Foundations, I'm talking to Matt Pryor, sports and exercise physiotherapist and a lecturer at Flinders University in Adelaide, Australia. I'm going to talk to Matt about the foundational knowledge and skills that he's used throughout his career as a sports physiotherapist and as a physio educator. Welcome to the Physio Foundations podcast for another week, a podcast about the knowledge and skills that provide the foundation of expert clinical practice. I'm your host, Luke Periton, and this week I'm talking to a fellow physiotherapy educator and sports and exercise physiotherapist, Matt Pryor from Flinders University in Adelaide, Australia. So Matt has lots of experience working in sports physiotherapy in the clinic with everyday athletes and people and professional athletes in professional sporting teams. So Matt's worked as the head physiotherapist for the Adelaide United Football Club, which is an A-League soccer or football team in Adelaide. And he's also worked with the Australian National Paralympic Football Team or the Pararoos and the Australian Joeys, the Youth National Football or Soccer Team. So I'm really interested in his perspectives on working with different types of athletes and different ages of athletes, and that'll come up in the chat. Matt's also a physio educator at Flinders Uni. He spent a lot of time providing students with clinical supervision and training in the course, and he's taught to practitioners as well as an invited presenter for the Australian Physiotherapy Association, and his special interest are clinical reasoning, evidence-based practice, exercise and rehabilitation, disability sport, football injuries, and tendinopathy. So he's got some broad interests within musculoskeletal physiotherapy um, that we're going to talk to him about. And we've got a shared professional and personal interest, which is running. So this gives us a really nice hook, nice talking point to start with, because we've both got a photo of ourselves running as a on, on a trail as our Twitter profile. So there's a hook there for us, Matt. Um, Matt Pryor, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Luke. Um, yeah, thank you very much, and thanks for having me on the podcast. Uh, you're welcome. It's I'm really looking forward to the chat. So um, look, the aim of the episodes, as you know, is to explore the foundations of expertise, not just to go to the top of the mountain and pick off the um, the most exciting pieces that you can talk about, but also to talk about the hard work that goes on behind the scenes and in the years before people find themselves in these um, you know, sort of high, high profile positions and sort of explore that pathway um, that people can walk themselves to get to um, where the guests are in a position of expertise. So. Um, sort of to help us get to that point, let's start with you and your background. So tell us a little bit about what got you interested in training as a physiotherapist back in the day and, you know, your experience as a physio and where you're going and where you are at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. So I think probably like most physios, um, I got into physio after spending quite a bit of time at a physio myself um, as a patient through playing sport in younger years growing up. Um and eventually through you know, repeated trips to the physio with different injuries and all sorts of stuff like that, um, getting to thinking that how the body works is actually pretty interesting and something that I might like to, to try and do as a career. So that's sort of what set me up um, to want to study physio in the first place. Um, and I guess since finishing my study and graduating as a physio, I've, I've probably worn a number of different hats over the years um, career-wise and worked in a few different settings from starting out doing your base grade rotating role um, physio in the public health system in the public hospital where you sort of spend a couple of months doing musculoskeletal cardio neuro and sort of rotating through different areas um, working in a research setting for a little while 
Um, but the majority of my time has been spent working in sports and musculoskeletal physio, um, both in private practice and, as you mentioned, working in high-level sport um, with a number of teams, most notably with soccer. Um, and, yeah, also now combining that with a little bit of teaching thrown in for, for good measure. For the new grads or the students listening to this, would you recommend a rotating role first or would you recommend if you're really passionate, you know what you're going to do for the rest of your life? Um, good luck with that. No one knows what they're going to do for the rest of yeah. their life. Would you re recommend going straight into private practice or that rotating role? Oh, everyone's different. But for me, I've got a lot of positive things to say about that rotating role. Like I certainly was always very interested in the musculoskeletal side of things. But the for me, the big benefit of going through that rotating role was that, well, firstly, there were a number of people in that setting whose job it was to specifically support you as a mentor or senior physio to you as a junior physio. So there were people there whose job it was to support you, help upskill you, help teach you further things beyond that which you learn at uni. And I think it's really important to recognise that you don't learn everything at uni. You know, you probably learn just as much in the first six, 12 months working as what you do over three years, four years, however long your degree might go for. And also too, there's a number of things that you don't necessarily get exposed to during your study. So being exposed to them in your first year or two out, um, I think really helps you make decisions as to you know, what you do like, what you don't like, what areas you might want to try and work in career-wise over the years. So I think that for me was a really, really helpful thing in that rotating role. You don't learn everything in uni, that's for sure. Not, at, and, but not the, at all. But that's the point here is that you, the point of university is to give you that uh, experience to be able to go to finish a university degree and be safe, competent, effective in the basic foundational skills. And then you can go out with that plan and then learn and color in the picture and learn on uh, top of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that with, um, with that, you know, base training that you get at uni, like you said, it sort of sets you up to be safe, competent, effective, but it's very broad. You know, it's sort of where, you know, you can take that degree, go and work in this setting, go and work in that setting. But if, and like for me, we're working in that rotating role, you go, no, I, I really want to go down that path. I want to, this is where I want to be, be doing things. There are lots of other avenues, whether they be formal study, whether they be working courses, whatever they may be, um, to further gain skills, knowledge in those areas to sort of help grow your abilities um, and you know, what you can be doing in those fields. So the support and the mentoring is, are really important points that you mentioned before in terms of where you go mm, and who you mm. choose to work with. So you're working clinically and that's right, this yes. uni. How do you balance the two and how do they sort of complement each other? Yeah, I, well, balancing the two is probably a lot of OCD on my part in the diary <laughs> and sort of scheduling um, things pretty tightly. But I think they, they complement each other really well in the sense that, um, yeah, we mentioned that you don't learn everything at uni and same thing too, how I practice and what I know and how I do things is very different now compared to say five years ago. Things are always evolving, changing, updating, all of those sorts of things. So I think that the the teaching helps inform my practice in that by virtue of the teaching, that forces me to keep up to date with current information to help pass on to students that I teach, which then feeds back into what I'm doing clinically and vice versa, what I'm doing clinically also gives me a really good clinical perspective, unique perspective 
and I guess real world examples to feed back into into the teaching as well. I have. I must admit, I do read the comments, which you're never meant to do. Never read the comments, and there are professional forums and you know social media forums where you read certain things that you have to then put your phone down and walk off regarding what's happening in universities, not necessarily by, by people who have any role in or input into the university course. And they're usually sort of sort of a polarised opinion about a special interest area of them. And the question is, well, why don't the guys at the university spend two years focusing on this special interest area of mine? I think what you've given there is a really nice summary of why that is. Physiotherapy education is really broad. We're talking about you know, our shared interest in musculoskeletal physio, and we'll talk about running in a minute, but it's very broad and you have to be competent and effective over multiple areas. So I think you've given the listeners a really nice summary of, of what that is, of what that balance is all about. What about, Absolutely. yeah, sorry, yeah. go on. And I was going to say on that, on that point too, that we've, um, with teaching, you know, there's, there's a number of things that, you know, you might, and you, you know, you might be in the same boat too with your teaching that, you might be teaching a number of different things that you may not necessarily use regularly, use every day in your practice there as well. But um, yeah, I think rather than just teaching, this is how I do it, these are the one or two things that I do, if you only give someone one tool in their toolbox, that's the only thing they're going to be able to use. And when it doesn't work, yeah, they've got no other options. So being able to, I guess, teach a range of different things or sort of expose people to a range of different things rather than the, my way or the highway one way approach and uh, gives them more tools in the toolbox to, to help with their patients for sure yeah so you've got a range of teaching interests in so you tell us about what you teach at Flinders Uni so you're interested in evidence-based practice clinical decision making um, your musculoskeletal um, training so what, what are your teaching areas and your teaching philosophies Yes, yeah, so and my uh, my teaching at Flinders is predominantly within the musculoskeletal stream, uh, stream rather of the the program. So, lecturing and doing practice teaching um, within the musculoskeletal topics, as well as providing clinical supervision, clinical education to students who are on their clinical placements um, at our clinic on campus at the uni. So, um, I'd, I'd probably say that the the clinical reasoning. So I think there's a really big focus or a really big thing that I try to, to push to the students both in the, the lectures and on clinic as well. So I sort of joke to the students in the clinic that um, I don't really, you know, in terms of their marks and grades and how they go, I, I don't really care whether their patients get better or not. Like I, I do care. But in terms of how they think they're going to go and be marked on, like it's not about whether their patient's getting better, worse or indifferent. It's what, how are they making decisions about what they think is going on? How are they making decisions about what they think they need to do treatment-wise? Because I think that you know, as, as physios, when you go out and graduate, you know, you're you know, ultimately judging your effectiveness or not by virtue of you know, the patient gets better or not. But I think in a, in, a, in a student context that taking one step back and trying to get the processes right around having a good process for coming up with a decision as to what you think something is condition-wise for what you want to try and do treatment-wise and what you're trying to achieve out of each individual intervention. I think that that's a really nice process that regardless of whether it works for that one individual person in front of you, I think that's going to set you up well for getting a good outcome with more patients than not. Mm. So your patient outcomes, of course, are really important. The students' outcomes and their grades are really important but as you're saying there 
they're different things. And the association is not as strong as a, a student might think when they're on a placement. And oh, it's absolutely. important to, for both parties to realise that. That's a really important and they, point. And the students could be giving someone, you know, there's, there's always patients that respond to treatment. There's always patients that, that don't necessarily respond to treatment. And, you know, I think a student can can give someone the, the right or the sort of best textbook evidence-based treatment for a condition their diagnosis might be spot on. And for whatever reason, that may not necessarily lead to the outcome that they were hoping with the patient. And I think the key thing we're sort of trying to get across them at that time is that that's for them in terms of where they're at with their learning, that's not an unsuccessful outcome. You know, they've put all the building blocks together to make really good decisions for their patient. And you know, that may not have worked on that one occasion, but I think that that you know, foundation, to use a sort of a word from the podcast, I think that having those foundation is going to set them up for you know, far more patients than not making some good decisions and, and helping them get some really good outcomes for their patient. Hopefully that's really reassuring if you're a student listening to this as well to, to sort of think a bit more broadly about the process because you, mm-hmm. you're trying to still learn new knowledge and apply it and uh, perform on a clinical Absolutely. placement. But yeah. there's, you know, you're there for learning. So you're sort of in the, that, we talk about the learning zone, which is 90% of it where you're immersed in learning and it's a safe environment. You can make mistakes and you, uh, that's important to make mistakes and you get feedback, you reflect on it, you're critical and it's a growth zone and then there's an aspect of performance we have to be evaluated everyone does and and that's the part that is focused on a lot and students often find really scary and hopefully listening to Matt here you've got some reassurance if you if you think about how patient outcomes aren't always good and it may be something you've done it may be something that's beyond your control as long as you're reflecting on it rather than mm. always worrying about it Mm. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, we, my students will probably recognise this because I sort of badger them to death with it, like a sort of like a traffic light system with respect to um, where to go next with sort of reviewing someone in that if someone's improved with what you're doing, green light, you know, keep doing that, you know, that line of attack is working. Um, yellow light, well, you know, they're, they might be essentially the same, not much has changed. Do you need to give what you're doing a bit longer to have effect? Do you need to change tack or the like? Um, or the red light approach where something, you know, they've gotten worse, things have gone backwards. But I think that the key thing that I'd sort of say to students is that that red light stuff or things getting a little bit worse, you know, patient getting a little bit worse, that's that's almost just as important information to, to use as part of your reasoning there as well. I think that you get more information sometimes out of what makes them worse. Um, or having a negative outcome, and like you said, reflecting on it, what do I need to change or modify? I think that they get more information out of that than necessarily someone who's coming back saying, look, I'm no different, nothing's changed, because that could be for a, a variety of different reasons. And it's really valuable stuff. So I want to follow on with the question I ask everybody, which is really about the theme of this podcast. What do you think are the most important foundational knowledge and skills for a physio. And for you, it could be a sports physio. In the second part of the chat, the second part two, we're going to talk about your background in, in football, disability sport, youth sport. So it could be, you could answer this specifically if you like, but just generally, what are the most important foundational knowledge and skills for a yeah. musculoskeletal physio? Look, I think I'm, I'm probably going to buck the trend a little bit here as I know a number of people that you've spoken to already have mentioned the importance of communication. And don't get me wrong, communication is really, really important in all of your, 
encounters. But for me, and sort of we might have guessed already from you know, a little bit of discussion we've had so far, I think that skill of clinical reasoning and decision-making, which is obviously underpinned by your knowledge of anatomy, pathophysiology, and particularly that of tissue healing in a musculoskeletal sense, um, is absolutely crucial. As, as physios, we're dealing with uncertainty almost all of the time. You know, I don't have x-ray hands or MRI eyes or anything like that to see what's going on with the joint or the muscle. So my decisions are based on this bit of evidence, that bit of evidence, all of those sort of different things rolled together to say, yeah, I reckon that's a, a decent likelihood of this being the case or that not being the case. So having a really clear reason why you think, you know, not necessarily just being able to come up with a, I think it's this or I want to do this, having a clear reason for why you think it is something or for why you want to try and do that treatment or what you're trying to achieve with that exercise or technique. That's the thing that I think will help you sort of make some really good decisions for the benefit of your patient, particularly where the presentation isn't necessarily a textbook clear one, but there's lots of shades of grey, but being able to have those skills to, yep, I know that it's not definite, but I think it's this for these reasons that component, I think, is really, really important from a physio point of view, musculoskeletal generally. Um, from a sports physio perspective, um, look, I, I'd say that knowing your clinical patterns and your common mechanisms of injury um, for different injuries and in different sports, you know, that's hugely important knowledge. Um, for instance, one of my soccer players tells me that they've twisted awkwardly and heard a pop from their knee. Well, you know, my decision making may as well stop there because it's you know, almost an ACL until proven otherwise with that sort of mechanism. Um, and similarly, too, with say groin pain, that my thinking around the potential for serious pathology, maybe referring on to someone else, um, that's completely different if I've got, say, a distance runner in front of me compared to, say, one of my soccer players. So, knowing your mechanisms, knowing your demographics for who gets what type of injuries um, in a sports set setting, um, I think that's really useful. That's a really interesting answer because if you think about it, the, the question is about the foundations or the building blocks that sit beneath everything that every that the ultimate answer or the, the point you get to will sit on top of. And if you don't have you know, strong clinical decision-making, reasoning framework, and knowledge of anatomy, pathophysiology, it's very much a an Adelaide thing, clinical patterns. I like that. That reminded me of my time in Adelaide. Um, if you don't have those building blocks underneath, um, your communication may not know where to sit. So I thought I found that a really interesting answer. It's good. Yeah. And I think too, like the, said, don't get me wrong, the communication side of things being really important, but I think that being able to you're probably much better place to articulate and communicate a really good response to your patient or your coach or whoever you're talking to if you, in your own mind, are able to formulate a really good opinion as to what's going on and what you need to, to try and do to address it. When you're doing an interview or even a physical examination, and this is, this is the beauty of these questions, you can really say whatever you like here. It's just chatting to an expert and educate fellow educator what do you um what do you find are the most important or perhaps the, the questions or the tests that you come back to the most often in assessments or yeah i think i think with um with any acute injury like i said i think the mechanism is really really important 
because I think that common injuries have common mechanisms. And so that sort of really clues your thinking as to what this thing in front of you might be. Um, but with more gradual onset, non-specific history stuff, um, I think history taking is probably even equally more important in the sense that you know, we're trying to answer the question of why now? Um, you know, what's changed? What's different about this person's workload um, as to why they're getting this knee pain or hip pain or whatever it might be right now as opposed to not six weeks ago, three months ago? So, you know, obviously in a, in a you know, team sport environment, that question can sometimes be easy to answer in that you know what training they're doing. It's all mapped out. You know, they've got all the data there. You can sort of look back on what they've done. But for your recreational sort of community level athlete, it can take a bit of detective work to not only find out what they're doing with their sport and their activity, but also what they're doing outside of that, you know, whether it be a gym, whether it be their work, whatever it might be, and getting a sense of exactly what their week looks like physically um, I think it's a really important thing to try and answer the question of why they're getting sore now, but also to try to tease out what those contributing factors might be that have, have led to that pain as well. It's funny, the consistent themes that are popping up across the short number of interviews I've done so far on the podcast series and, and Susanna, Mick and Randall brought the same point up last time about not just looking at the person in their sport, but looking at their overall loading in their life. And, yeah, um, mm. absolutely. And I think particularly too at the, yeah, it's often more challenging at the semi-professional level from a sporting context in that you've got people who are training bloody hard they are very good athletes. They run fast, they kick a ball long, all that sort of stuff. But equally too, they might be working full-time or near full-time in a variety of different roles, you know, whether they be more desk-based or even a lot of times more physical-type jobs. So it's not just the, you know, the 6K sprint session that they're doing you know, on a Tuesday night at training. That might have come off the back of being on their feet all day, up and down ladders, lifting heavy weights and all that sort of stuff. So knowing that, all of those things are being thrown into the mix too is really important to, to consider when factoring in why it's happened, but also to what things you might need to address and advise about to hopefully get them back on track. Well, so far we've talked about, you know, you we led into it from one of your points. We talked about supporting and mentoring and sort of that journey for a new graduate physio and that getting on that pathway. And then that, that led to a bit of a conversation about those foundational knowledge and skills. And you mentioned the traffic light system for, um, you know, for assessments. You, you measured, uh, you mentioned clinical reasoning, clinical decision-making. And then we talked about, you know, the most important aspects of a physical examination and, and an interview. So understanding mechanisms. So, I reckon we can leave some intervention stuff. The question I wanted to ask you next, it would be about the fundamentals and foundations of the interventions you provide and how you teach those. We can leave that for part two of the conversation where I want to ask you about football and you know, sports physio and take that conversation a bit further. Let's talk about running to finish Absolutely. this off. So how's the running going personally and professionally? Because you work as a physio, you help people with running injuries and you run yourself. Mm. Um, how's your, your own running going? Oh, it's, um, I'm very much a, a slow plodder. I, but I guess that's the thing I like about running, you know, for 99.9% for .9 of the people who take part, they're never going to be, myself included, they're never going to be at the pointy end of a, of a race or anything like that. It's um, just sort of about you know, beating what you've done 
as an individual before, uh, which is the thing that I really like about it. So, um, yeah, my our um, our youngest child is about to start kindy and getting back into the childcare routine. So the let's just say the the length of run is getting a little bit shorter at, at the moment, and some of the sessions are getting a little bit more hit and miss from a training perspective with with kids these days. But yeah, still very much enjoy getting out for getting out for a run. That mirrors my experience pretty well, especially <laughs> with the kids. So, um, what about with patients? So you you've got an interest in you know, musculoskeletal physio, sports physio, and you, you'll see a few patients in the clinic who are runners. Um, how do you, what's your approach as a runner helping people with running injuries? So you sort of fo- focus more on their you know, running mechanics or you're more about load or um, looking more broadly at the person? Yeah, what's your I, philosophy I, and approach? I think it's probably probably a combination of all. I think probably like technique is a really interesting one really important one can make a big difference to someone but equally too is something that tinkering with can be fraught with danger it can be a really finicky thing and changing something that you may not necessarily have the effect that you want and it's really hard to do so whereas i might have sort of tried tinkering with things from a technique perspective a little bit more in years gone by i'm probably more now as a first port of call um looking at the person a bit more, I guess, holistically from a load point of view, um, definitely from a strength and conditioning point of view, sort of thinking of it as a um, almost like using some of that strength and conditioning to work to help improve their capacity, improve their tolerance to deal with the load of running, but also to knowing that there's some some types of, like runners love to run. And I think that in a number of different conditions, certain types of running may be more tolerated than other types of running. Like a good example might be um, like a proximal hamstring tendon. You know, they might generally cope pretty well with a you know, slower paced run on the flat as opposed to speed work or running up and down hills. So rather than necessarily saying to someone, don't run, you can't run until this is better type thing, trying to steer them towards I guess, a safer or less provocative form of what they enjoy doing, um, which not only helps them, they enjoy it, helps their motivation, but also too, you know, if we if we want someone to be able to deal with running, getting them to run helps prepare them to do more running. So if there's a type of running that they can do that's tolerable, that's not going to be excessive load from what their tissues can cope with. That's a really nice thing, almost like a Goldilocks thing, not too little, not too much, just that somewhere in the middle um, approach to, to managing things during rehab with them. That's great, Matt. Uh, as a fellow plotter, I, I felt like asking the question, what's wrong with plotting? <laughs> so, and, abs- you, absolutely as as nothing. As long as absolutely you're doing nothing. something. Yeah. Yep. As long as you're out there and... Um, you know, you're maintaining your physical activity and your health and you're enjoying it and you're avoiding Absolutely. injury. That's what's important. Absolutely. Yeah, and yeah, like you sure. said, comparing yourself against yourself and adding to your quality of life, you know. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. Much more we, important than the minutiae of what you're doing and perhaps your times. So. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We're really lucky where we are in Adelaide. We've got some really nice um, sort of coastal trails and like down near our way. So it's, where are you um, in sunny Radelaide? We are sort of down the southern coastal region, so in the sort of outer southern suburbs, down by the coast, a bit further on from the beaches, so rocky cliff faces um, along the beaches. It, it, it's really nice. Yeah, fairly close to Flinders Uni then. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Beautiful. 
Matt, let's stop it there. We're going to come back and do part two where we're going to talk about your sports physio interests and we'll probably take some of those um, foundational concepts a little bit further and I'm really looking forward to that. But for now, thanks very much for coming on Physio Foundations. I really enjoyed the chat. Thank you. Thank you.